today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Because, see, he can still be just. He becomes a man with us, God with us, fully God, fully man, dies for us because of his love for us. There's the love and pays the price, satisfying justice. And there's the justice. Do you see the beautiful marriage between love and justice? He's a just God, but he's a loving God, and he can't be one without the other. Hebrews chapter 12 explains the difference between our earthly fathers, who chastise us for our good, versus our heavenly father, whose chastisement brings us life. Today, Pastor J.D.'s message is about the character of our God, who executes judgment yet is full of mercy and grace. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Isaiah chapter 1 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. So the Old Testament, as you know, consists of 39 books, and they're actually divided into four sections. And the first section is the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. Actually, that's what pent means, Pentagon, pentagram, five, Pentecost, actually five, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we studied through those. Then after the Pentateuch, we studied through the historic books. And the historic books contain 12 books total, starting with Joshua, then Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, And then when you get to Job, you get into what are known as the poetic books. And this is Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then the Song of Solomon, which we just completed a couple weeks ago. So now the corner we're turning is into the remaining books of the Old Testament, 17 books total. They're known as the prophetic books, and they're actually divided into major prophets and minor prophets. And not because the major prophets are superior and the minor prophets inferior, rather it's because of the volume of the books. Major prophets in the sense that these are major books, voluminous. In fact, the book of Isaiah that we're going to begin tonight has 66 chapters. Does that mean we're going to be in the book of Isaiah at one chapter a week for 66 weeks? No. (laughs) We will do our best to get through this in a timely fashion, but not so fast that we would in any way miss what God has for us. So we're going to start off with just chapter one, but Isaiah starts off the prophetic books, and the major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, the book of Lamentations is a prophetic book, Ezekiel, oh my goodness, and then of course the book of Daniel. Those are the major prophets. Now when you get into the minor prophets, these are in terms of their volume, shorter books, the prophet Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, 
and then lastly Malachi. So now some of you are looking at me and I know what you're thinking because I can read your mind. And you're saying to me, when did you start in the book of Genesis? I'm not going to tell you when we started in the book of Genesis. I actually think it was about 2006. So wait a minute, Pastor, let me do the math just real quick, if you don't mind. So if you started in the book of Genesis, and we're just now starting in the book of Isaiah, and you started in the year 2006, and this is the year 2021, how many years is that? It's a lot of years. So what are you saying? Are we going to get through the Old Testament before the rapture? I hope not. I hope the rapture comes first. (laughs) Again, we're going to go through it and take our time, not go too fast, certainly not go too slow either. So anyway, Isaiah chapter 1. This chapter has with it an invitation from the Lord to simply reason together with Him concerning sin. If you want to take away a devotional thought from this chapter, that's what it would be. If you were to put a caption on this chapter, it would be simply, be reasonable. And that's what we're going to see when we get to verse 18. Now, as we go through the book of Isaiah, really as with any book in the Old Testament, all of which points to and speaks of the person of Jesus Christ, but in particular the book of Isaiah, Jesus and salvation are woven throughout the fabric of the entirety of this prophetic book. It's all about Jesus, from front to finish. Actually, you know what the name Isaiah means? You know in the Hebrew, really in the Middle East to this day, the name is the nature. You know Yitzhak or Isaac, the name Yitzhak means laughter. That's Isaac, but that was his name because that was the nature of his birth. It was laughable that a woman 90 years of age and a father a <laughs> hundred years of age could actually have a biological son. <laughs> I know, we'll name him Yitzhak. Yitzhak in Hebrew, it's actually the same word in my native tongue of Arabic. It's Yitzhak. It literally means laughter. If I were to say to you in Arabic, Ana Yitzhak ma'akum, I just got done saying, I laugh with you. Laughter, Yitzhak, Isaac, Yitzhak. The name is the nature. And so too is this true with the name Isaiah. It means the Lord is salvation. That's what his name means. And here's what's really interesting. The word salvation is found 26 times in the book of Isaiah. Well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is All of the other prophetic books combined, you only find the word salvation mentioned seven times in all of the other books combined. Yet here in the book of Isaiah, 26 times you find the word salvation with this prophet inspired by the Holy Spirit, whose name means the Lord is salvation. Do you kind of get the impression that the Lord wants us to be reasonable? 
when it comes to His plan of salvation. That's what this chapter is about, and that's what we're going to start off with here in this study through the book. We're going to get to know Isaiah. Some of the things that we do know about him, and we'll see in this book, is that he was married and had two sons. Now the writer of Hebrews, in referring to those great witnesses, that great cloud of witness, the hall of faith, many who were mightily used of God. And there's this one reference to those who were sawed asunder. And some believe that under the reign of one of the most, if not the most wicked kings in all of Israel's history, by the name of Manasseh, he actually had Isaiah put into a hollow tree and was sawed in half under the king, this King Manasseh, in the northern tribe of Israel. You have to understand at the time of Isaiah, Israel was divided into two parts. You had southern Judah, and then you had the northern tribes, the northern tribes of Israel. And what's really interesting, when you get into the study of the kings, which we did when we were in First and Second Kings, and we're going to see it here in verse 1 in just a moment, there were only nine good kings, and all of those good kings who did that which was right in the sight of the Lord were in Judah. You know how many good kings they had in the northern <laughs> tribe of Israel? Zero. Count them. Zero. All of the kings did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, save nine kings only. And what's even more interesting, and this was a fascinating study in the kings, is that of those nine, only one throughout all of his life never did anything towards the end of his life that would be a sin against the Lord. And he's an obscure name that we're going to actually read in verse 1. His name is Yathan, King Yathan. You never hear about him. You hear about King David. He was a good king, of course. Did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but he committed adultery and murder. And he go down through the list. Even King Uzziah, which Isaiah was personal friends with. In fact, when we get into, uh, I want to say it's chapter 6 actually, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. This was a very good king who reigned for 52 years. And when he died, it shook Isaiah, so much so that he had to behold the throne and the Lord seated on the throne to settle his heart. Because what are we going to do now? This good king is gone. But you know what Uzziah did? Check this out. He was not a priest, he was only a king. But he did that which only a priest could do and should do, and he entered into the Holy of Holies. And that was forbidden for a king. Only the priest could, the high priest. And when he did that, he was struck with leprosy. And they ran him out, and it was like God saying, what are you doing? And even then he was obstinate. This is, this is a good king. Can you imagine what the bad kings were like? 
And yet this was a good king, King Uzziah, and we're going to read about him here in a moment. Now, let me set this up and then we'll dive in. And we will get through this chapter. (laughs) But beginning here in chapter 1 and continuing through chapter 5, see it like this. It's like God is laying out a court case against Judah. He's calling upon the heavens and the earth to bear witness in this courtroom, and Judah is the defendant. And as such, they're found guilty as charged. But God, in His love, His grace, His mercy, wants them to reason together with Him, offers a settlement, if you will, and that settlement is salvation and redemption. And so we're going to see that beginning here in chapter 1. All right, verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, or Yatham, that's the guy, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox, verse 3, knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people do not consider. Oh boy, we're off to a a horrible start actually. (laughs) What's this about? This is the opening arguments? Yeah. He's talking about Judah being dumber than an ox? Yeah. He's talking about Judah being more stubborn than a donkey? Yeah. Um, He's referring to them as his children who have rebelled against him. That's how he's going to start off in this indictment, bring in the charges against Judah. Yeah. Why? Well, you really have to understand the cultural dynamics in the Middle East, certainly in that time, and even present modern day, and sadly we miss it in our day in this Western culture. You have to know that it would be unthinkable to dishonor your father and your mother, but especially your father in that culture. You go to the Middle East today, you know, we talk about, well, of course, in these last days, I mean, and maybe as a parent or even a grandparent, you said this to those little whippersnappers. <laughs> if I talked to my mom and dad like that, I wouldn't be alive to tell you about it. <laughs> you know, it's like kids today, right? We just kind of brush it off and blow it off. Ah, oh, kids today. Oh no, you would never hear that in the Middle East. And you wouldn't even hear that today. If a child 
so much as talk back to his father, you will be in great danger. (laughs) It is criminal. It is unthinkable. The dishonor and the shame brought on the family name would be such that it would have to be punished to the severest extent. And in this, you have packaged with this the loving heart of a tender, loving Heavenly Father who says, you've rebelled against me as my children. Think about that. How about us as earthly parents with our children? Have you ever heard that expression? You're only as happy as your saddest child. How much hurt does it bring to the heart of a father, a heart of a mother, when a child is rebellious, that prodigal son, that wayward daughter? I'll tell you, it's a pain that is so deep that one can hardly even believe that a human being could experience the depth of such pain. How much more our Heavenly Father. This is His case against them. You have dishonored me. As a rebellious child dishonors their father. Now, in our day, again, we would look at that and say, well, what's the big deal? Kids these days. I mean, come on. This is the way it is. It is what it is. No, it's not. If a daughter or a son in any way did this, it would have been again unthinkable, and it would have to be judged. Now stay with me on this, because this is going to be germane to our understanding of this book, and certainly this chapter, because it's chapters like this, it's books like this, particularly in the Old Testament, that give God bad press, if I can say it like that. It's books like this, it's chapters like this, that cause people to say, you know, the God of the Old Testament was a a wrathful God. Well, God is just, but God is loving too. Here's the thing, if God was not just, He would not be loving. And if God were not loving, He would not be just. Let me explain. Let's say that we go into court, and the perpetrator of the crime, horrific crime, unspeakable crime, against a little child, let's say, let's just bring it up a notch. It rises to that level. I mean, it is an unspeakable, evil crime that's been committed. And you go into the courtroom, and the judge is a loving judge. He says, you know what? We're good. Passes an easy sentence, time served, slap on the hand, slap on the wrist, as they say. That's unjust. Oh, but he's loving. No, he's not. Because what about the victims? That's not loving towards the victims. See, God, I want to say it like this, and for lack of a better way of saying it, it's not that God has a problem, because God doesn't have problems, obviously, but He has a dilemma of sorts, and that dilemma is, how does He remain just and loving at the same time? This is how. Grace, salvation, redemption, 
Because see, He can still be just. He becomes a man with us, God with us, fully God, fully man, dies for us because of His love for us. There's the love, and pays the price, satisfying justice, and there's the justice. Do you see the beautiful marriage between love and justice? He's a just God, but He's a loving God, and He can't be one without the other. If He's not just, He's neither loving, nor is He not loving if He's unjust. He's a just judge. His judgments are righteous and just. He is a just, loving God and loving judge. Verse 4, you need to have that in your hip pocket, so to speak, because it's going to get a little bit gnarly here, as we're about to see. Verse 4, alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. We're going to see that reference throughout this book, the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. I don't know if you notice this or not, but just in one verse, there are seven serious charges in this indictment, and that's by design, because the number seven is the number of completion. What God is saying in charging them with these indictments, seven and all, is that their wickedness was complete wickedness. Complete and utter and total wickedness. Verse five, why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises, and this is, <sighs> could have gone without hearing this, especially after dinner, and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. You know what God's saying here? In this indictment against Judah, He's saying no amount of discipline seems to have any effect. I have disciplined you from the top of your head to the bottom of your foot, and yet you keep on sinning against me. You know, I think we would do well when we read passages like this to allow the Holy Spirit unfettered access to that deep recess in our hearts, that place in our hearts that is obstinate, stubborn, rebellious, unteachable. It's like God saying, I've tried everything to discipline you, but there's nothing that works. You are not able to be disciplined. I've tried everything to correct you, but you're not correctable. 
I've done everything and stopped at nothing to teach you, and you're unteachable. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Isaiah is an interesting one, as the prophet Isaiah spoke things that God wanted the people of Israel to hear, but they just wouldn't listen. Little did they know that much of what Isaiah spoke had bigger significance than they could have imagined. From beginning to end, the book of Isaiah touches on Jesus Christ coming later on. It refers to the announcement of his coming, his birth, his good news of salvation, his death, and his return to claim his own. Wow, what an incredible insight into the future. Sometimes things are plain right before our eyes, and we just aren't willing to see it for what it is. Although the people were ignorant in that present time, God used Isaiah to speak to them anyway and to proclaim the good news that was to come. Do you know of this good news? If not, we'd like you to check out calvarychapelkaneohe.com and head over to the resources page. There you'll find the ABCs of salvation, which goes into a step-by-step understanding of the good news of Jesus. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word and to look for more things God wants to teach you in this book of Isaiah. Looking forward to next time here on In Spirit and Truth.